are listening to the Draper Fisher Jurvetson Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Seminar, brought to you weekly by Stanford Technology Ventures Program at Stanford University School of Engineering. I know a lot of, and just like your classmates and anybody who has been hanging around Stanford the last few years, we know a lot of people who work at Google. My God, it's beginning to be like, I know a lot of people who work at Zazzle as well, because a lot of Stanford students have uh, gone that way, and it feels just like another Google in that sense uh, as a professor. Um, they both were e economics majors here, and here's another unique thing. They both sat in this very room about five or six years ago in this very you know, type of this seminar series. So it's, it's not only welcoming them back to Stanford, uh, it's welcoming them back to this uh, seminar series, which I think was Friday. We were draconian in those days. It was Friday afternoon at 4.30 instead of Wednesday afternoon at 4.30 to really see who were the hardcore entrepreneurs in, in, uh, in the making. But so let's welcome back Jeff and Bobby, and they don't even have to take it for credit this time. Let's, here they are. Welcome back. Thanks, Tom, for that introduction. Uh, actually, I think you guys are going to have to indulge us for just one second. We're going to try and make something happen. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick actually, picture. We want to take it in front of the crowd if we could. So we need this guy in the background. He's out <laughs> you can just kind of come around like this. We want to commemorate the event. One, two, three. All right. So if everything goes according to plan, you'll see why we did that. Um, so anyhow, thanks, Tom, for the introduction. Uh, as, as he mentioned, uh, I'm Bobby Beaver. This is my esteemed colleague and brother, Jeff. We are co-founders of a very exciting, very dynamic, very quickly growing, uh, very in need of top quality talent company called Zazzle, just about a mile away from here in Palo Alto, California. Um, as, as Tom mentioned, we were both uh, Stanford students not too long ago. And uh, we're going to talk quite a bit about that uh, over the course of the next hour or so. And really, I just wanted to, to say thank you to, to Tom and, and to everybody here for having us back, giving us an opportunity to talk to you guys about uh, our experiences over the last couple of years. Uh, a couple of reasons we're really excited about that. The first one being they rarely let us out of the office, so this is a nice escape. Uh, the second one being uh, Jeff and I tend to be verbose when it comes to Zazzle. We love talking about it uh, with anybody who's willing to listen. So we always appreciate the opportunity to talk about Zazzle. And then the third one is, and probably most relevant to you guys, <clears throat> as Tom said, we both took this class numerous times when we were at Stanford. And uh, you know, it's pretty easy for us to think back to being in, in those chairs and looking and listening to presenters and thinking about what it meant to be entrepreneurial, what it meant to build a company from scratch, what it took. To, uh, to really try and achieve a vision or an idea. And so really when Jeff and I were putting this presentation together uh, yesterday, we really tried to think through what it meant to be in your spot, what we could try and answer, what we could try and talk about to make this really meaningful and impactful for you, try and convey at least a few lessons in what we've learned over the last couple of years. So that being said, I'll just give a quick overview of what the next hour is going to look like. Um, what we're going to do at the outset is just to give a very brief synopsis of what Zazzle is, I promise. We could easily talk about it for hours, but that is not the purpose of this presentation. Really what we want to focus on is what our experience in entrepreneurship uh, has been and uh, what it's meant to us, where the pitfalls have been, where we've succeeded, where we've failed. And to that end, we're really just going to try and tell our story, uh, taking it back to 99 when we were sophomores and juniors at Stanford, and um, carrying it all the way through to today, where Zazzle stands. Um, over the course of that story, hopefully what we can do is distill a couple of our lessons, our major thoughts, our takeaways, what those have been. Um, you can find them here on the wall on this side, and I think there's another one somewhere else. Uh, we're going to call those the lessons we've learned. Uh, that's another thing we want to try and get across real early here is that we wouldn't presume to know what it takes to be successful. Not going to try and convey anything to you in that regard. All we're going to try and do here is talk about what we've learned for ourselves over the course of this time. And, and hopefully that's, that's uh, useful for you in some way or another. So anyhow, we're going to outline up front. We're going to give you the conclusion initially. We're going to say, hey, look, these are our lessons. And hopefully you can use that as a reference point, and we can too, throughout our story 
and we can point to the fact that, hey, this took passion, or this, this took a lot of hard work, or this took confidence. Um, once we do that, we're going to go dive right into the story itself, starting at Stanford, carry it through to today. And um, after we get through with that, we'll round up the lessons again, convey that into the Zazzle way, what it means to build a Zazzle culture right now, how we try and operate, how we're trying to achieve our goals. And then finally, we're going to try and leave some time for Q&A, open things up. We're happy to answer questions on whatever you guys are curious about, whether it's the business, whether it's about our particular experiences, anything within reason we're happy to talk about. So with that being said, I'm going to hand it over to Jeff, and he's going to tell you about Zazzle. User-created products such as those posters on the walls and T-shirts from individuals and amateurs and uh, professional artists and actually collections of branded content such as Disney and even the Hoover Institution at Stanford. Uh, additionally, so if you're not going on the site to create products with your own content, you can buy what's already there. And this is really unique. You can actually customize the existing products in the marketplace, which means you can go to Disney Ink Shop on Zazzle, and you can select from many thousands of different designs and artworks and actually customize it further. So you can add your own name, add a phrase, resize the image, move it to the back. And this is actually a really powerful concept that we'll talk about later. But um, it's the notion of you know, personal empowerment and personalization within commerce. OK, so again, the products, you see a lot of them here already. Uh, we do everything from apparel to prints, even this big. And uh, we're really excited about uh, the dark apparel line, actually, which is new for us. So uh, the t-shirts that the Zazzlers here are wearing today are actually prototypes. Uh, the long sleeve black t-shirt is not on the website, so you'll be the first to get them if you uh, pick one up on the way out. Uh, so again, apparel, everything from infant styles to ladies t-shirts to polos to ringers and vintage styles. Uh, with posters, really, the, the options are really limitless. So you can get anything teeny to big with framing options that are probably actually too much. Um, greeting cards, and most recently, stamps. Believe it or not, you can actually create real US postage on Zazzle right now by going to the website, which is a really hot product and is really cool. So I want to talk about, just very briefly, the different aspects of the marketplace. What comprises it? You have buyers, you have sellers, and the community that binds them together. And I've already talked about the products, but the interesting and powerful thing about the buying experience on Zazzle is that people are really creating products from their imagination. They're using their own content, things that are personal and meaningful to them. So comparing Zazzle to traditional commerce, it's really, we've found, to be much more enriching and meaningful and personal. So the focus is on the individual rather than the brand when you're, for example, pulling something off a shelf at a uh, traditional retail store. So sellers, we really feel like we're trying to unleash the creativity out there. There are so many millions of unique, creative, special artists out there. And they've never had the opportunity to display their works, much less monetize them. So at Zazzle, we really feel like we're the advocate, the partner, the champion of their creativity. And we want to find new ways to help them earn great monetization and compensation from their works. And lastly, community. This is a, kind of an intangible, but very important, we believe, to the marketplace, where we're connecting buyers and sellers, and actually within sellers and within buyers, in unique ways that have never before been possible. So for example, a digital artist like Creative82 here from Illinois, he's actually a college student, connecting with you know, some buyer uh, in, in France or Germany or Asia, or you know, selling these products all across the world. And these people are actually interacting and communicating amongst themselves. So here, it looks like we lost one of the images. But uh, just wanted to provide some images to give an example of the uh, buying experience. Again, I've talked about the meaningful and enriching nature of these products because they are personal. You can see in the image in the upper right, um, it's probably too small to tell. But this is a. Uh, a new father and mother who just had a child. And the father actually created a t-shirt on Zazzle with an ultrasound image of the baby right there for the birth. And you know, having done this grassroots you know, 
uh, crawling of Zazzle, we've interacted with all these customers. We answer their emails, and we talk to them and communicate with them. And have really found that when somebody's waiting for a Zazzle order, it's important. It's something they really care about. And down here to the right, we've got an example of the design tool that we're currently uh, continuing to improve. We're really creating some cutting-edge, unique technologies to provide a designing experience that's really interactive and really engaging. So it really actually feels more like Photoshop than a web page. Sellers here, um, you've got sellers all over the world. Alejandro, Dennis Holmes, Ochoa. Um, just wanted to provide some, some examples here and actually show you some of the faces behind Zazzle, which is pretty important. Um, and in the upper right here, this is uh, an image that means a lot to Bobby and I because uh, it was actually the first legitimate poster ever contributed to the Zazzle site. And this was back in about 2001. And at the time, it was still uh, beta password protected. And we were checking the site every few minutes to see if anybody was going to use it or you know, upload an image or make a product. And this guy, turns out, he's Russian. His name's Dmitry Savinov. And he's an amazing digital artist. All of a sudden, one day, I think it was maybe 20 hours later after we launched, he contributed this poster, and we were just in awe. We couldn't believe it. We bought it immediately. We put it all over you know, our, our dorm at Stanford. It was just phenomenal and really gratifying. And he was actually pretty surprised to get some royalties from that poster in like, the first day. So we started actually getting some traction in the digital art community uh, initially, which was, which was a great start. So lastly here, um, sellers, we have individuals such as the contributors. But what's also unique about Zazzle is we're aggregating all this branded, recognizable content as well. And the reason being is uh, what we've developed on the back end is a you know, on-demand manufacturing system such that you can create a t-shirt, such as the ones up there, profitably even one at a time, which is really unique. So that means Disney can actually provide us several thousand images. And they don't have to inventory any t-shirts or anything. They can just upload them. Our inventory is effectively just um, the server storage space of these image files. So we're working with institutions like Hoover, the Library of Congress, uh, Family Guy entertainment properties, such as Star Wars and Marvel Comics, and even just uh, big corporations like Coca-Cola. And the number of these is going to increase dramatically soon as well. So with that, I'll pass this back to Bobby to uh, get into the introduction to the lessons we've learned. So if you guys are going to fall asleep, just let me get through this slide first. This is a conclusion, as I said out front. Uh, hopefully, if we do our job in the course of the next half hour, these will be uh, self-evident. Um, this is really what we're trying to drive through is the things we've learned over the course of the last six years. Uh, the first one, uh, you must have passion. Can't say this one enough. I imagine over the course of this quarter, you'll hear this said time and time again from different entrepreneurs. And it's true, because the reality of building a business, trying to, to make a vision or a dream real is that it's really tough. There are certainly high highs, but there are just as many or more low lows. And, and the only thing ultimately that you can fall back on is the people that you're working with and also your, your vision, your passion for the business itself. And I think everybody has different passions. They have different reasons for getting into different ventures. Uh, in our case, it was you know, trying to do something interesting together and with time, that's evolved into a, a very large vision for enabling creativity across the globe and so on and so forth. But you've got to have something. Uh, I, would, I would strongly contend that it shouldn't just be monetary. Um, just doesn't make sense after a while. There's a lot of sacrifice along the way. And, and the only thing in the end that can justify all this work is, is really caring about solving a problem, trying to make something real. And so this is the first and the most important lesson in many ways is you've got to have passion. You've got to care about what you're trying to do. The second is <clears throat> we'd, we'd hope to convey to you uh, just how much a small group of people or even just an individual can accomplish. And I think that's especially true given the way that technology has evolved with open source availability and those types of tools. It's amazing what one, two, three, four people can get done. And, and I guess uh, taking this class, I would hope you don't come away with the impression that to build uh, a potentially important company, you need $10 million in the bank and 50 people to do it. That, 
that isn't the case. I think if you take a look at any of the successful internet companies over the course of however long, you'd find that they all start small, they all start with passion, they all start with a, a small team that really cares about what they're doing and is willing to work hard. And so I would just uh, say that Jeff and I have certainly learned through our experiences that small teams can accomplish a tremendous amount. And that kind of segues into the next point, which is have confidence. Have confidence in yourself, in your team, to get something done. Um, and I think another kind of corollary to that is don't be intimidated by what you don't know. Certainly, uh, as we hope to elucidate in the story of Zazzle, we had no idea what we were doing, literally, in any regard. Didn't know how to build a company. Didn't know how to try and reinvent digital printing for, for apparel. Didn't know how to build a website and e-commerce infrastructure. Didn't know how to talk to collections. But uh, we were either too naive to think that we could, we could get that done, or we had the confidence that, that we could figure it out if we needed to. And, and that's just another important lesson I would say that we'd learned is to have confidence in yourself, your intuition, your ability to, to overcome something you might not know how to do at the outset. The fourth is to, to question everything. Certainly uh, coming out of school, not having really any experience or context for creating a company or even being in any other companies, we had no idea what the status quo is or was. And along the way, as we've continued to grow, there's certainly a lot of different inputs on, well, this is how you should do this. This is how you should do that. Don't accept it. Don't accept the status quo. Uh, the, you, mean you should ask about everything and understand how people do things and why. But don't just give in to the notion that it's done this way and that's how it should be done. Always question uh, what people are telling you. Always question what the right thing to do is. And uh, don't be afraid to try something new in an effort to, to make it better. Um, the fifth is, is uh, kind of curt, adapt or die. It's true. Uh, in, in Zazzle's case, uh, our, we didn't have an explicit, built-out, detailed plan or vision for exactly where we would be today at the outset. We've had to adapt at every step. The reality, at least in our situation, was that the landscape, competitively or otherwise, was changing all the time. And we needed to accommodate that, whether it was on a technological front or with competitors. Uh, we always had to be able to adapt to take and make the most of our opportunities along the way. And the last point, um, maybe even more important than the first, is, uh, is that people are more important than anything else. And it's really true. Uh, Zazzle, and I imagine any company for that matter, is nothing more than the people that comprise it. And uh, that's why we're, we're so focused on things like culture, so focused on, on uh, trying to propagate what the passion, the vision for the company is. I think if you, if you talk to, uh, and I imagine you'll hear from um, some very well-regarded venture capitalists, they would say the same in their successful companies. Uh, what's most important early on is to build a great team and to have confidence in that team uh, because it all grows from that kind of core. <clears throat> so you can all go to sleep now. We'll talk about how we came to those conclusions by describing to you uh, the story of how we got where we are. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, this all for us started back in 99 uh, when we were in school here. I graduated in 2000. Jeff graduated in 2001. We were both econ majors. Uh, we actually both have a long history in engineering and computer science in particular, uh, back to kind of hobby in, in, uh, in high school. And so we had that kind of context heading, heading in. But the 98-99 uh, time frame, as I imagine you guys remember or have read about, was just simply nuts. It was especially crazy here, it felt like anyway. Um, just thinking personally to the number of people I knew starting a venture, joining a new venture, it, it was crazy. Um, and you're talking about people in totally unrelated fields hopping out of their career path in an effort to try something new. In many ways, it was totally awesome. But I think it was... Um, it was crazy. And I mean, I, I can remember experiences where you know, being there, listening in class, and the professor had to leave early to go to a, to a board meeting or you know, to a founder's lunch or whatever. I think everybody was consumed in the notion of you know, making a lot of money or trying something new or any half-cocked half idea can be successful. And so uh, the reason I provide that is because that was kind of the context with which we were forming our ideas around Zazzle. And I think Jeff and I were lucky in that that wasn't our first experience with entrepreneurship. Um, our father is a, uh, 
He's a very successful serial entrepreneur. He's done a lot of things over the course of his career. But uh, you know, that's how we grew up, was with that kind of in the home at the outset. So this wasn't something new to us. And, and what he provided, in stark contrast to what we were finding at school and hearing on the news and so forth, was a deep commitment to you know, old school rules, things like actual margins and what you're selling, um, a commitment to your customers, those types of things. And whereas he hadn't had any experiences directly in the internet, he was very interested in the internet space in general. And um, you know, we could provide a lot of that insight to him. And what he provided to the mix was his experiences in building companies, understanding what it takes to put something together, to start something. And uh, together, I think we formed a good team. And so the three of us co-founded the idea of Zazzle while we were still in school. The approach we kind of took wasn't necessarily uh, inspired by any particular event. We decided that maybe more as an exercise than anything else, we would think about different ideas, different opportunities on the internet. What can we do that isn't being done currently? What can we do that would be meaningful or interesting? What can we build a real business around? And for a lot of different reasons, we ended up talking about um, the imprinted apparel market in particular. Uh, this was a market and is a market that turns out is just huge in size. It's conservatively 20 to $25 billion in the US alone. Um, and what that means, imprinted apparel, I don't mean shirts like this, it's, it's stuff, uh, you know, t-shirts that have imprinted designs on them. And when we looked harder, it was pretty clear there were no major or dominant internet presences in this field. And additionally, offline, there weren't any suppliers, any major suppliers that were dominating the market. And the reason under the covers was that it's an extremely antiquated technology. Uh, what enables imprinted apparel is a process called silk screening or screen printing. And uh, I don't want to digress too far, but I think it's important to understand. Um, basically, the way the process works is if you have a design for a t-shirt, for example, the first step you go through is to separate it out into a bunch of different colors. And you have to create physical screens for each of those colors. Um, and the process for creating the final design is basically to, to lay out the shirt, put the screen down, push paint through uh, for each of those colors, and then once you've layered them up, set it by basically cooking the shirt. Uh, the result is, is great. The output's fantastic. The problem is you have to amortize that initial investment in the screens across considerable quantity in order to get the per unit price down, right? So you can't get an individual screen printed t-shirt in quantities less than probably 100 at a price of like 10 bucks. It's just, right, the colors are also very limited. The design process sucks. So um, this, for us, was an immediate opportunity. It was a big market. It was something that we could try and address directly with technology. And we knew, in addition to solving the technological problem, if we, if we built a website around it, if we built uh, a marketplace around the idea of this technology and enabling people to create real products in quantities of one or two, that we'd really have something special. And so in the remainder of our tenure at Stan Stanford, Jeff and I spent a lot of time you know, studying the successful internet models, what made eBay tick, what made Dell tick, what, what was successful about Amazon, and then trying to, to put those together into something that was unique and different, and we called it Zazzle. And so to our mind, at least at the time, what Zazzle was for us was a combination of eBay in the sense that we were building a marketplace, as Jeff described earlier, around this product. And uh, Dell in the sense that we were going to be a pioneer in on-demand manufacturing. Um, and one was predicated on the other. So um, I think the other important point to, to make is that when we did finally decide to go attack this technology, uh, we knew that if we could make it work, uh, the margins would be great. And that could act as the basis for fueling the growth of the company. We always had the mindset initially not to go pitch the idea and take a bunch of money and, and market it on you know, the Super Bowl or whatever else. The idea was to make the model itself so compelling and to create network effects around it such that this thing will grow on its own. And that all came down to being able to manufacture a product, in our case, with margins that would support incentivization schemes like royalty models, referral models, that sort of thing. 
And the last point I just wanted to make, and I kind of made a mental note to myself on the slide, is that they're skeptics. Even in the heyday when everybody's idea was a great idea and, and it seemed like you could finance anything, uh, there were skeptics everywhere. There were skeptics at Stanford, skeptics you know, amongst friends or family. There were skeptics when we were first trying to make the, the technologies work. And that's another point. You've got to have confidence in your idea. You've got to have passion around what you're doing. And if you really think you can make it work, you can, you can make it happen, you can probably go ahead and do it. So bootstrapping, this is uh, really the mode we fell into. Uh, well, in my senior year, I stopped out for a while. And, and certainly, as soon as I graduated, uh, this is the mode we, we, uh, we took, was to basically find a garage in Palo Alto, and we did, and set up camp and try and address the major challenges of the business. Uh, we knew there was a corporate aspect. That was Robert. He was going to take care of that. He had done that before. We needed to build a new, invent a new direct print technology for cotton substrates in particular. It's a tremendously difficult problem for lots of different reasons. And uh, the man for the, for the job is a guy by the name of Gene Westerberg, who's uh, a guy that had worked with um, my dad in, in the past in previous ventures. And uh, he had direct experience with uh, digital printing and those sorts of things in the past. So we were fairly confident. In, and so was he that he could make it work. And then the final challenge, Jeff and I, a bunch of econ majors, decide that we're just going to build the website from scratch, which was kind of a good idea. <laughs> Mostly not a good idea. But uh, it ended up working out. And so anyhow, we knew the challenge. We knew the different components. We had the team defined. And we just set out to go ahead and do it. Uh, just to dive in a little more detail with the direct print stuff, again, kind of reemphasizing this point about small teams and confidence. Just to give you an idea for how hard direct printing on apparel is, this is something we had heard Haynes spent $50 million on and got nowhere with. Um, this has long been considered to be the holy grail in, in apparel printing for lots of reasons. If there's only way to print designs in quantities of one or two that isn't complete garbage, you know, that would really be powerful. And that's what we were setting out to do. Um, with regard to the website, you know, this wasn't <coughs> It's, it's a relatively difficult task. I mean, there was an e-commerce component to the whole thing, actually taking orders, fulfilling those, actually driving the production process on the back end, you know, writing print drivers, trying to control production flow and tracking. There was the whole notion of taking content in. I mean, that's relatively commonplace now on the web. But at the time, you know, we had to write all the input libraries to take the, the data in and uh, save it to back end storage and that sort of thing. So you know, we were really trying to figure out how to make all this work as we were going. And it ended up being a rather difficult challenge. So anyhow, the picture's here. That's Robert on the left. There's Gene on the right. There's Jeff uh, right below him. Six-man shirt. Six-man shirt. OK, great. So I'm going to take uh, the latter half of bootstrapping here. And uh, we wanted to not just talk and look at text, but actually show you what does starting a company look like? What does bootstrapping mean? Well, it means you do everything, literally everything. You clean the toilets, you deliver the orders, you write all the code, you do everything. Um, so we wanted to show some examples of that. And uh, some of the uh, more laborious stuff, we always turn into parties, quote unquote, such as our box making parties here. We would make these uh, boxes to ship our posters in, which was, which was fun. So we do that an hour every day. There's Robert there rolling up a poster. He was especially good at rolling posters. I was best at printing shirts. You know, so, so just to give you an idea of the scale of what we've undergone in the last 12 to 15 months or so is uh, this old facility we had was about 2,800 square feet. And now we're uh, expanding out of 35,000 square feet. So part of that's growth. Part of that is we were crazy fitting everything into this old facility. And this just gives you some indication of, you know, how hectic it actually was. You know, towers of Dell boxes everywhere. You're literally sitting next to somebody an inch or two away. Um, we'd had to store a ton of uh, supplies and everything outside in the parking lot. There's actually a toilet there, which is a little creepy. Uh, but that wasn't ours. I don't remember why that was there. Uh, some other fun examples of literally construction happening in the background. People are hammering and sawing and you know, building stuff. 
So we knocked down the wall of this car garage into an adjacent facility that we expanded into. And so here's uh, us in the middle trying to have a serious meeting when you know, all this construction's going on and things are crazy. And uh, that's actually me in the right uh, with Greg. This is a few weeks before we launched the website in 2003. And I had to be the model for the apparel on the, on the website, which is a little scary. Uh, meanwhile, you know, all the construction's happening. We're trying to, trying to get everything done. So just to give you a little substance behind, you know, it is a little crazy. It is a lot of sacrifice. There are a lot of things you got to do that you don't think about when you start, you know, start off to say you want to build a company. Here are more examples of like literally building, shelving, and you know the supplies of uh, reconstructing our little Zazzle home there. Okay, so more bootstrapping. This is getting into launching the website, which was kind of a interesting phase in our history, where uh, the concept of a social life or life outside of Zazzle was you know nonsense, and uh, we lived on caffeine here. This is Robert wheeling in a bunch of uh, crates of Rockstar and Red Bull. I think Rockstar should be illegal. It's bad stuff. Don't get started. Um, we got addicted, and uh, it was bad. Here's Bobby, actually, right here, uh, sitting right adjacent to our server rack, our first server rack. For those of you who have, who have not been in a server room before, servers output a lot of air because I've got to cool down the processors. And there was about 20 servers right next to Bobby's head blowing directly on his face. And the problem was his eyes would dry out and he couldn't see. So we had to get him some ski goggles right there. Uh, so, you know, he could continue coding and drinking caffeine. And this was right after a Krispy Kreme run, which, you know, is also good for sugar high. Uh, some more fun uh, launch craziness. Uh, Bobby dancing around in the server room. Um, cleaning some parts for hardware right there. Launching the website, the effects of stream, extreme sleep deprivation. Yes, yes. We, uh, part of this was a study in how far you could go to actually uh, uh, disassemble your body and your functions. And uh, this is us just coding in our little room. Oh. And this is kind of the end result with the last push to finally get the website out. We were sleeping underneath our desks. It was uh, not pretty. And this is me. This is most probably the most unflattering picture I could have picked of myself. This guy convinced me I had to put it in here. Uh, we were cycling through photos last night. But uh, yeah, it's, it's grueling. It's so much work. We set out to build all this, uh, this code, and we really had to learn it from scratch. And we didn't use anything from third parties. And everything from the graphics to the database to the middle tier. Um, it was a lot of work. So we launched, and it was awesome. That was in about uh, the mid of 2003. And uh, it was just amazing to see almost immediately the activity on the site and the, the viralness and the word of mouth and people actually doing stuff and conducting business on the site literally minutes after we launched. So what does all this mean? They're funny photos. They're good stories. But really, it comes back to passion. You have to be passionate about the product you're building, you know, your customers, your users, the people you're working next to, because you're living and breathing it. And if you're thinking about some sort of monetary reward, it's just not enough. It's not good enough. Small teams, you know, doing a lot. And it's not just with this launch, we'll get into later, but all these guys, the, the news Azlers, and what they're doing already is phenomenal. And here, we, we, we could have done this whole thing in uh, just photos. And that probably would have been funnier, but less educational. Um, you know, we would hand deliver orders uh, to local um, residences because we wanted to see like how much could we delight our customers. If somebody places an order of 20 custom T-shirts, we deliver it in less than an hour. Like that's amazing, right? And so we would do that. We would you know bike them down or drive them down and deliver to people. And and it was always this constant addiction. How do we do it better? How do we make the website better? How do we ship faster? How do we make the products higher quality? And it's just, it's invigorating. And lastly, having confidence in yourself. I think we uh, beat that uh, pretty well already. So, and oh, actually, an important point on that, uh, proactively learning what you don't know. 
it's not just having confidence. You've got to recognize what your strengths are, what you do know. What you don't know, definitely try to learn. Definitely talk to people, talk to your professors and advisors and friends, and use your network to learn what you don't know. Okay, so the last two phases we wanted to talk about about the Zazzle history was uh, raising capital and the present. And we're running a little long, so I'll be brief on this. At the time, uh, in fall of uh, 2004, we were generating significant revenue. We had no marketing. We had no real development other than just the website. And um, just purely from word of mouth and network effects, the, the community, the marketplace was gaining traction. So we were teetering on profitability, and we didn't need money. We did not need capital, which is really unique for startups. And uh, pretty much all of a sudden one day, a very prominent venture capitalist came knocking on the door, and he said, hey, what's up, guys? What are you doing? I checked out the website. I think you're doing something really interesting, and I see long-term potential for this. And we were just like shocked, pure shocked. We were humbled. We were thrilled. It was confusing. We couldn't believe it. Something that we pulled together with just a few people over the course of a few you know, really long, hard years, somebody like this could recognize that, yeah, there is a grander vision. There is something very powerful uh, with this concept. So um, we definitely took it upon ourselves to do our own due diligence on the process. Is venture capital going to add something more than just money? Because we could have done this without capital. That was the key question. And whether we wanted to grow organically or if we really wanted to commit to a faster pace in a bigger scale in order to maximize the bigger vision of what Zazzle is. So long story short, we, we met with a few firms. And we finally uh, met Kleiner Perkins. And I can honestly say, I think, and we believe, they have a very unique value system and a strong culture fit with how we wanted to grow the company and how we thought about our business. So. Pretty much immediately after we met their partners, we knew that they had a shared vision for what Zazzle could be. And they could really help us you know, be hands-on and help us build this into something great. And leveraging their expertise and their experience and their connections to really take Zazzle to the next level. So John Doerr and Aileen Lee are uh, the team members from uh, Kleiner on the Zazzle team. John sits on the board in addition to Ram Sharam. After we met Kleiner, they uh, insisted, they were emphatic. They said, you have to meet Ram Sharam. You have to meet him. And we said, OK, you know, of course, we obliged. We'd love to meet him. Didn't know much about him at the time. And um, we pretty much agreed after the first meeting with Ram that this was somebody who could add a ton of value to the company, just as a hands-on operational leader in so many great successes. He was at Netscape. He founded Zhang Li and then was at Amazon. And um, I don't know how many of you know the details of the Google story, but he was one of the first investors in Google and helped uh, Larry and Sergey in the early days really build that company. And so you know, just perfectly relevant experience from e-commerce to business development to entrepreneurship. And uh, so he's also on the board of Zazzle. And he's uh, just incredible. So we did raise money. Uh, we raised about $16 million in December of 2004. At the time, we were very stealth about it. We, we were still extremely small and uh, kind of trudging along. So we did not want to blow out a big announcement. So lastly, I just want to point out here that uh, what's really exciting about our investors, and there really are just Zazzlers, is that they, they truly are part of the team. And the most common question we hear is, how can we help? What do you need? Who do you want to meet? What can we do? And it's just helped so much. So you know, there are plenty of examples of specific things they've done. We probably don't have to go into those. We probably don't have enough time. But uh, they're integral to Zazzle's uh, success. OK, so last phase, the present. Uh, this last year after we've raised money, basically what happens is you raise a lot of money. And it's like, OK, well, you've done some good things. But how do we really amp this up? I mean. Two engineers who are econ majors doesn't really scale to a dramatically large e-commerce website. So basically, it's like, how fast can you scale? How many people can you hire? What are the right types of people you can bring into your company? And uh, so we sought out to immediately uh, find engineers, in addition to marketing people. 
Okay, we looks like we might have a, a delivery. Is that right? We should let him in. Ah, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, come on up. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Jesus. So this is an example of delighting the customer. We talked about so, delighting the actually, customer. Actually, it happened too quickly. It was supposed to happen at the end. Yeah, this, you're too fast, man. This is actually probably a new record. Okay. It says, if you can't see it on the video, we spoke at ETL, and all we got was this really super high-quality T-shirt. And then this is for the end. So um, thank you, Jesus. Uh, really quickly, rounding this out, so building the team. Now, we had to grow fast. However, one of the core tenets was the passion, right? It was the people aspect. That's the most important. So we never recruited an engineer before. It literally took us two months, not because we didn't have candidates in the queue, but it took us two months to finally hire our first engineer, Jason Lee, because we needed to make sure this was the right passion fit, the right technical fit. This person would be really engaged with what we were doing. We turned away great people, just incredibly intelligent people who didn't get it or weren't as excited about you know, the products that we were developing. Um, long story short with Jason, and one of the examples here, is just that when you hire the best, an amazing thing happens. Other people notice, because they know they're the best. They start asking, okay, what's the deal with Zazzle? Why did you leave this great opportunity to go to this crazy little startup? So anyways, we built um, the team largely as a part of growing um, from networks of, of great people. And you know, I think I'm going to breeze past the last two here. Uh, one of the big challenges here when we're stuck in the present is there really is a world of opportunity. There's so much creativity out there, and it's so untapped. And we have resources now. We have great new Zazzlers. We do have some money in the bank. The challenge becomes prioritizing. It becomes balancing the tactical, you know, we need to get stuff done versus maintaining that strategic long-term view of this is where we want to be, but we've got to focus on today and this week. And then meanwhile, you're trying to hire people as fast as you can. So I personally spend about a good 40% of my time purely on recruiting, whether that's sifting through resumes or interviewing or phone screens. And it's just, it's still a big challenge to scale your team. And lastly here, we're really trying to scale our processes as well. When you're just two programmers, we had, you know, <laughs> no process. There was no QA. There was no graphic design. There was no project management. I knew what he was doing. I knew what I was doing. It doesn't work when you have a much bigger team. So we're trying to infuse the right structure and process um, that works with the Zazzle way. And lastly here, this is an important point. This goes to um, questioning everything and learning what you don't know. We, the prerequisite with every new employee is, and we believe, what can they add in addition to just the pure responsibilities of their job function? We interview everyone after they come in and say, hey, what worked for you at your last company? What didn't? What do you think we should do? This is what we're doing. And really trying to learn and pick the best pieces of existing models and processes out there and redefining our own, that special disazzle. OK, so lastly, the present. Uh, the people really are the most important uh, thing in the company. And this is just some Zazzlers having a good time. Uh, this is us launching some new feature late at night, probably 2 a.m., uh, all standing around a, a computer to uh, release it. Um, here's some of the more recent Zazzlers, John Fogelsong and Josh Rees right here in the front, and Ahmed in the server room. And uh, here's some Zazzlers uh, hanging out after a long night of coding in the bottom, installing some new servers at the top. And here's some of the uh, investors and other team members like Rom and John and Aileen. So uh, with that, um, I'm going to pass this back to Bobby. But I do want to talk about the first one again. Um, you must have passion. And you know this is everything. I had a testimonial, but we don't have time for it. But Timothy T was basically one of the first guys who contributed to Zazzle. And I did all the customer support at the time, answered every email. And uh, he wrote something to the effect of, I can't believe this. For the first time, I have a venue. I have a place to put my art, and people are recognizing it and seeing it. 
Thank you so much. Just the gratification he got from having a place to be recognized for his creativity you know, was so impactful. And that's what really drives us. It's our users, our customers. It's, it's really being connected to those people and making sure that um, you know, we exceed their expectations. So Bobby, you're up. So I promised at the outset that uh, we like to talk. We talk too long. And I think Jeff might have demonstrated part of that there. Uh, anyhow, so I'll just I'll gloss over these points real quickly. Small teams, we talked about it before. Just to point out some things that weren't evident from the story. You know, entrepreneurship isn't just about you know starting in the company. You can be entrepreneurial and, and join a company, take a risk, and, and try and contribute value at any point along the line. And I think these guys up front are a good example of that. They were seniors graduating last year. They're at Zazzle now, uh, adding tremendous value. John Fogelsong basically building and running a charity program. It's driven tremendous eyeballs to the site. Uh, it's also bringing in content and meaningful relationships to Zazzle. It's been a huge win. Uh, Albert and Josh Reeves, Albert Sue and Josh Reeves, who are uh, product managers now that are helping to drive our product strategy for all of 2006. It's, it's a tremendous responsibility that's going to dictate our success this year. And these guys, uh, you know, any of these guys could have worked anywhere they wanted to, uh, but they chose to take a risk, be entrepreneurial, join Zazzle, and try and make a difference. Uh, T basically enabling all of the dark apparel functionality, and Grover being our only QA for about <laughs> four months, which was painful. Uh, have confidence. I think we've covered that one uh, pretty thoroughly. Question everything. Don't accept the status quo. We certainly didn't. It ended up turning out OK in our case, um, so we're going to be advocates for it. I'm also going to take the last two. Adapt or die. Uh, there are a lot of different points. If you guys are curious, you can ask about this one. Uh, come on up, and, and we'll be happy to talk about it afterwards. But there are a lot of different points in our history where it was entirely feasible the company would end. Uh, but we had to adapt along the way in order to uh, ultimately succeed. Uh, and again, people are the most important thing. I think you've seen that through the pictures, that really the focus of this company, and I think any, is the people itself. So all that being said, uh, the Zazzle way, we've tried to infuse those lessons into how we operate on a daily basis. It's our culture. It's how we live. It dictates the process of things, how we end up trying to make features into, uh, uh, take them to reality. Uh, and, and so these are kind of the, the values that we live by right now. Innovation, be a missionary, not a mercenary. If you're out there just to make a buck, you have no place at Zazzle for sure. You've got to believe in what we're doing. Uh, empowerment. Even in the example of these guys taking a chance, giving them the opportunity to really contribute value, that's how you attract great people is to say, hey, look, you can take ownership of this. We'll let you run with it. We trust you. You're a member of the team. And uh, you know, that's basically been the, the reason for any and all of our successes. Never settle on anything. I think it's absolutely how, how, we, uh, how we operate. Jeff gave a good example. We never hired an engineer despite the, the dire need for one for two months uh, until we really felt like it was the right fit. And then fun. I, I don't want to give anyone the impression that, that this is one of these hypey companies and every day is a silly string battle. Uh, but you've you got to infuse some fun into what you're doing because it's a tough road. Uh, people are working hard. And, and you've got to make sure um, that people are enjoying the ride as they go. So I guess that's about it. I'm not sure we have really any time for Hold questions. You need to put your shirt on. One, two. Um, this is a Creative82 who actually did a lot of these posters here. And just wanted to leave you with this final thought. It says, imagination, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. So that's our final message. So I think maybe we have time for one question, Tom. So let's see. Uh, you right there. And also, I'm being told you need to speak into the mic. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason that in, I graduated in 2000, Jeff in 2001, um, took us a long time to go live with a public site. And, and the basic reason was, you know, Jeff and I were slow. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. And in Gene's case, it was a huge R&D project for a long time. And so, yes, we came out with a novel printing technology early on. And actually, part of this adapt and die message is that the initial efforts we had didn't turn out. Uh, we had to use an alternative process to go live with. We ultimately came back to one of our own. 
But um, yeah, I mean, everything ultimately at Zazzle, the entire marketplace is predicated on the ability to manufacture high quality products with a quick turnaround. And that was the first example. We've since done it with uh, printing posters, prints. We've also done it with cards, and now finally with stamps. It's, it's kind of what enables everything that happens. Great. More questions? Yeah. So we didn't, we didn't reinvent um, you know, an actual inkjet printing machine. Really what, what we worked on were the ink chemistries um, to actually develop dyes that could get through nozzle heads without clogging them, and then ultimately finding a way to set that so that it didn't wash out. Um, in the case of the other stuff, we run machines that, uh, that anybody can buy, but we modify them pretty dramatically for our usage. So you know, the, the machines we run generally don't turn off. They run 24 hours a day in order to, to drive huge throughput and, and to drive the cost down. OK, Two one more, more question. All right. Uh, do you have any plans on going uh, brick and mortar, such as small kiosks or small, small stores, anything like that, providing the best service? OK. Well, the question was about going to brick and mortar and potentially going retail on small locations. Um, good question. Uh, can't really give you any insight into uh, future plans, because we're still private. But it's something you know. that's come up, thinking the, about. The thing I would say is that you know, as we continue to attract um, uh, established content like museums, like Hoover or MoMA or you know, Disney or whatever, these are guys that have content and also have physical locations. And one of our biggest challenges, generally, is to show people the quality of the products we produce. It's really hard on the, on the web to display how high quality this is. So the reason we really like the notion of physical presences is that that would afford us an opportunity to get samples out there together with the content. So absolutely, we're keeping that in mind. Definitely. OK, last one. Okay, so the question was about the royalty model and what the average artist makes on the site. So to the latter, it really varies greatly depending on you know the, the, the content and how much traffic that individual might drive. The, the fundamental system right now is a 10% royalty model and a 7% referral. So the referral is if you actually direct, using one of our links, somebody to uh, content on the site. So 17% combined. So I think that's it. Thank you so much for having us. And we're sticking around after, too. We'll be hanging out for as long as you guys want to stay if you have more questions. On behalf of the class and STVP and Basis, uh, we'd like to thank Jeff and Bobby Beaver for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. That was amazing. Awesome. Awesome.